Hey, Central Christian Church, it is my pleasure to be with you today. My name is Blake Hanson. I'm a pastor out in southwest Florida. I want to pause before we go any further right now to give honor where honor is due and to celebrate some amazing leaders, and that are your leaders, Pastor Tim and Tiffany Perkins. Come on, we are just uh, just amazed. I go way back with Pastor Tim, and man, he is a phenomenal leader. So right now, take a moment in your chat, give some words of encouragement to your leaders at Central Christian Church. Come on, type it out. Say they're awesome. Say they look good. Say go Chiefs, because Pastor Tim needs that. So take a moment right now in the chat below. Well, today I want to talk to you about the idea or what it means to follow Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says this, Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. So Jesus is saying that you can't be in two places at once. You can't be a follower of Jesus and then not be in his proximity. You have to be a follower means it's, it's all or nothing. It's, it's not a gray area. It's not 90%. It's not, it's not 99%. It's 100%. You have to be where Jesus is. And he continues in 20, verse 26 of the Gospel of John. He says this, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus was saying that. See, the challenge that many of us face is we like the ideal and the idea of following Jesus, but there's certain slivers, there's certain cracks, there's corners in our life that we don't want to give over to Jesus. We, we want to maybe hold on to them, pocket them, put them in, in, in our little side, but we'll say, hey, Jesus, I'll give you 99% of my life, but let me just have this 1% over here. See, today we'll be discovering and looking at what it really means to follow Jesus and the benefits of following Jesus by looking at a passage found in Luke chapter 5. It's this beautiful call of the first disciples. In many of my messages, I use this term, love Jesus, be different. See, our goal should be to be in love with Jesus so much, to have a relationship with him that's growing so much, so radical, that we are so desperate in need of following him and pleasing him. That whenever we love Jesus so much, we can't help but be different. When I think of different, um, I think of the very first church in the first century in the book of Acts. I, I look back and I look at these believers who lived this radical following filled life of who Jesus is. And when we look at the book of Acts, if you've grown up in church in, in, in any amount, then sometimes you can fall in love with the romance that maybe we read about in the gospel and the Acts of the, or in the Acts of the Apostles, excuse me. And as we look at the book of Acts, when we see this first church, sometimes we can fall in this romance and this, this ideal that, man, those were the good old days of church. Those were the good old days when, when Peter and Paul would speak so boldly, causing authorities to be alarmed. The book of Acts, we can paint this picture in our mind where martyrs cheerfully gave up their lives in the Colosseum, where Peter was healing the sick and the hankies were flying around. And we can look at the book of Acts, these individuals that loved Jesus and lived differently as this unstoppable movement. 
And we can almost come to this conclusion that the book of Acts, these men who followed Jesus in the very first church, those were the good old days of church. If only we could be like them. However, there's a problem. Church historians say that if you and I would have lived back in the first century church times, it would have felt like anything but an unstoppable church, an unstoppable movement. In fact, some of the best estimates argue that there was only 7,500 believers at the end of the first century church worldwide. Now, put this in perspective. At the time, they say that there's 150 to over 300 million people worldwide. So, 7,500 people worldwide compared to 300 million? I mean, it's not even, not even close to 1%. See, Rome's population was approximately 4 to 5 million people. 7,500 isn't even 1% of one single city. Now, by the turn of the second century, Origen, this, this uh, scholar, Christian theologian, he says this, he described the Christian movement a hundred years after the first century church as a few scattered communities, geographically broad, but numerically insignificant. Yet by 312, so 200 years after the first century church, Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, converted to say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus for political reasons. Over half of the Roman Empire was now, by the turn of the third century, Christian. So how do you go from 7,500 individuals, followers, to now more than over uh, uh, millions of people in a span of just 200 years. You had people who were radically sold out to be a follower of Jesus. You had radical people who cared, who loved, who said, I want to commit my life, not just 99%, but 100% over to Jesus. Now think about it. They, they spread the gospel. They lived for him. They, 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 they pursued him. And there's no social media at the time. There's no news outlets. There's no newspapers. There's no great marketing campaigns. There's no TV. You had a group of sold-out believers wanting to multiply themselves for the greater good in the spread of the gospel. Do you remember that riddle that you probably heard in middle school? Would you rather have $10,000 a day for 30 days? Or would you rather have... Uh, your money double, starting with a penny on the very first day. So when the time of your money doubles over days, at the end of the first week, you only have a few bucks, but at the end of 30 days, you have more than millions. Where if you were like me, and you were that kid in middle school, $10,000 a day for, for 30 days, sign me up. That's, that's a new outfit. That's some clothes. Like, that's, some, that's some new headphones. That's a new iPhone. Whatever the case might be, it seemed like a lot. But really, I was missing out on what was even more in store when we looked at the riddle. Millions versus 300,000. See, that's what we call the power of multiplication. Church, can you imagine if you multiplied yourself? When you're watching online, if you invited a friend over and say, hey, let's, let's lean into what's being taught. Let's lean into what we're hearing about church. Can you imagine Central Christian Church in the Bay Area saying, what if we multiplied ourselves? 
What if we were so radically following Jesus in such a way that changed the dynamic of our city? Think about it, just the power of multiplication. Hell losing soul after soul and heaven gaining souls for all of eternity. Man, the future generations, they wouldn't look back and say that like, like us, they might not look back at the book of Acts and say those were the good old days. But my prayer, my hope is that future generations, that your children's children would look at your church, Central Christian San Jose, right now and say, man, those were the good old days. We're living in the good times, the good old days. See, it starts with being a radical follower of Jesus. It starts that when we commit to following Jesus, our lives will forever change. So join me, Luke chapter 5, the calling of the first disciples, the historian, the great Dr. Luke, he writes this, verse 1, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Now, this is an important detail, because this encounter with Jesus came at a time when these men were tired. This encounter with Jesus came at a time where these men worked all night. It was not the right time for Jesus, yet it was the time of Jesus. Oftentimes, our encounters with Jesus come when we least expect it. Come in a moment where we are tired, where we're down and out, where we're demoralized, maybe depressed. But it's in those moments that that encounter can hook in our lives. So verse 3 continues, Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now, two main reasons that Jesus did this was, one, everybody wanted Jesus' autograph. He couldn't escape the crowd pressing in on him. They wanted to hear his authority. They wanted to touch him. They wanted a hope, a physical, tangible hope to have access to. And secondly, whenever teachers, rabbis, anybody of this time would teach, sound would be amplified traveling across the waters. So Jesus got into this boat. And then, verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish. Now, I'm not the best fisherman. Out in Florida, we fish. And I don't know too much about it, but I do know this. That if I have any kind of knowledge, if I'm an expert fisherman like Peter and this group of disciples, I wouldn't necessarily be taking advice from a carpenter. Can you imagine you're tired, you've been out all night, you've been working, you've been pressed on, and, and you're just ready to kind of call it a day? And then you have this carpenter over here saying, push out. I don't know about you, but it can get pretty frustrating when people who think they're an expert in your field try to tell you how to move and work in your field when they have no history or no recollection. And then verse 5 continues, says, Master, Simon replied. Peter is this moment, this pause. I'm, I'm sure he said it with the utmost respect, but a little annoyed. He said, Master, and he, and he paused, and he goes, We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. There's like that breathing space there. But if you say... So I'll let down the nets again. So they go back out there and they do what Jesus told them to do. That pause right here and 
Peter's conversation will forever change his life. Verse 6 continues, And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me, and I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck. Everybody say awestruck. Look at your screen and say awestruck. By the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything, everything, and followed Jesus. So today, I want to give you three qualities needed to be a follower of Jesus. Number one is this. You need to let your awe of Jesus be larger than your awe of of life. You need to let your awe of Jesus be louder than your awe of life. You need to let your love of Jesus be more lively than your awe of life. Some of us, we get more passionate about watching our favorite football team or maybe uh, voicing our political concerns or what's happening culturally where we are knowing, where we are known for what we're maybe against or all these other things versus being so in awe with Jesus that he is the leader, that he is what we are sounding of. Luke 5a says this, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. He was awestruck. He was overwhelmed. See, what an odd reaction right there that Peter had when you think about it. He was, he, he was in this moment where Jesus was revealing his power. But then, when we kind of really dive in and think about it even a little bit more, it's really not that odd how Peter reacted. See, when we're in the presence of greatness, two things happen. We want to lean in, but we also want to step back and push away. I remember I was uh, in Los Angeles. I was going to a USC basketball game. And if you've ever been to a basketball game or any kind of sports game, the crowds come flooding in. And I look over to my left, and I see this massive seven-footer right next to me. At the time, it was the starting center of the Los Angeles Lakers, JaVale McGee. And I look over, and like, not too many times you see a seven-footer, and and I'm like, is that JaVale McGee? I so happened to watch the game right before, the earlier that day, or the night before, and I remember looking at him and be like, that's JaVale McGee. I didn't know if I should go up and, should I get an autograph? Should I get a picture? Should I say, hey, what's up, JaVale? You should have made some more layups, my friend, and your team might have won. Or if I should have said, you know what, uh, maybe I should just ignore him. Maybe I shouldn't say anything because, I mean, he's in the NBA. That's cool. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where you've been around someone of influence, someone of great standing in your life or from your perspective. Whenever you're around those people, a celebrity figure, maybe someone who is just a prominent boss in your life, you're like, do I lean in or do I step away? See, in the presence of greatness, we're both attracted and we also want to run away. Peter was in this moment where he is in self-discovery mode where he says, I am not good enough. He wanted to run away. 
When Jesus has this encounter with the Apostle Paul, what happens to Paul? He goes blind and this great vision and this majesty of who Jesus is brought terror to Paul's life. And he says, and he fallen on the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul couldn't see for the next following three days. When Jesus has this encounter with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah begins to pray and he sees the throne room of God, he sees Jesus' majesty right there. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And Isaiah pushes, wants to fight against the greatness and majesty of God. So you might ask, why does God reveal himself in such powerful ways? Why did Jesus come into these disciples' lives and reveal himself in such a powerful way? Because he brought an awe into the lives of these people. When our awe of Jesus is larger than our awe of life, we're willing to be obedient to what Jesus is saying. We're willing to listen. We're willing to lean in and, and say, Jesus, I want to see and experience what you have in store for me. When Jesus is greater, we're not worried about what we're missing out. See, later on in John chapter 21, we see a similar problem. Now, the disciples, it's, they're, they're fishing and they're not having any luck and they're coming to this point where there's this man on the shore and he's walking and they don't know what exactly is taking place, but the man yells to him and he says, hey, throw your nets, go out a little deeper, throw your nets on the other side. And this is what happened in John 21, 7. Then the disciples, Jesus, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he was stripped for work, jumped into the water and he headed to shore. See, so Peter has the same encounter. He's fishing all night in John chapter 21, not catching anything. And rather than saying, push away from Jesus, he says, I'm going to throw on my clothes and I'm going to jump into the water and I'm going to run towards Jesus. So why did Peter react different the second time around? It's because the first time was uh, before the cross. The second time was after the cross. Peter reacted different because it wasn't Jesus' power that maybe overwhelmed Peter, but it was Jesus' compassion as a loving father, as a man of grace, as a, a person of love, a person that painted the picture of hope that captured Peter's heart. See, it wasn't this, this idea of power and what Jesus could do, but if you remember in the whole story of the gospel, Peter made some of the greatest mistakes in his life. He denied Jesus three times after being told that he would do such a thing by Jesus himself. So Peter had two other encounters with Jesus before John 21, after the resurrection of Jesus. And can you imagine Peter sitting there and he's wrestling with thought, is Jesus ever going to bring up the elephant in the room, ever bring up the time that I denied him? And Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, I'm going to condemn you. But, Peter, but Jesus says, Peter, cast your net a little further. Peter, cast your net on the other side. See, it's this compassion that Jesus showed Peter. It's this grace that Peter was given and displayed on behalf of Jesus that captured Peter's heart. Peter, one of the greatest mistakes, ultimately by denying Jesus, 
yet just came back to him and said, still, I want you, Peter. You might be wrestling right now with some things in your life. I want you to hear this. If you hear anything today, that Jesus is for you, that Jesus loves you, and that Jesus died for you. When it comes to being a follower, allow our awe to be lar- our awe of Jesus to be larger than our awe of life. Number two, hold a commitment to follow Jesus and find others. Part of following Jesus means we pursue people. And I would even take it a step further. See, it's very easy in our life to measure our personal moral standards and, and let that be the, the founding factor of how well we're following Jesus. But I would take it a step further and say, the way you follow Jesus is actually measured by how you are finding and reaching others. Because if you're following Jesus the, the best way possible, then you can't help but share that gospel with others. Um, part of Jesus... I can't say it enough, means we're chasing and we're pursuing people. At my church the past few months, uh, I've ran into different families out in the lobby, and we're seeing this influx after COVID and different people come back to church. And, and I remember running into some young families. I'm like, how did you hear about us? I always ask that question. And uh, the families have been like, well, my child's uh, friend from school invited him. I'm like, hey, well, that, that's awesome. That's amazing. And so it so happens to be like, what school do they go to? And we have a, a small Christian school associated with our, with our church. And, and they actually said, we go over here to Faith Academy. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's awesome. So when I take my kids to school the next couple weeks, I'm like, looking, who's the kid that's inviting other kids to church? And I'm looking around, and I'm like, I'm not recognizing any kids that I see in our kids' ministry. And as I look through... Uh, the, the class is kind of like that, that creeper style, and I'm, I'm looking there, and, and I'm trying to, I'm not recognizing any kids that go to our church. Oh, this is interesting. This is unique. So finally, after a couple of weeks of sitting on this and saying, someone's inviting these new families, a, a child is inviting these new families to our church, which is so awesome, I finally look back at the end of one afternoon, I look back in my car, and I just, I guess I was like, well, I'll ask my sons. I asked my sons, I said, have you guys been inviting anybody to church? My three-year-old, who just recently, this past week, turned four, uh, he goes, yeah, I've been inviting people to church, Dad. And I'm like, you have? That's pretty awesome. I'm like, who have you been inviting? He's like, I invite Miss Tracy, I invite Carla, Darla, Layla, and, and he goes on, and he goes on to list all these girls' names. I'm like, Briar, you're inviting only girls to church. He's like, yeah, Dad, you always said whatever it takes, you know? And I'm like, oh, man, am I in, in, in for a rude wake-up call right there? See, what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to communicate to you is this, that there's this understand that when we follow Jesus, we hold a commitment not to just measure ourselves morally, but how well are we at finding others? So I love your guys' church statements, your church uh, saying where it's, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. Like, that's what it's all about. It's about ministering. It's about reaching people who are lost. It's about reaching people who need help, who, reaching people who need hope. See, and I'll, I'll say it multiple times, we'll do anything short of sinning to see people come and hear a presentation of the gospel, a life-changing message. 
So I think some of the hangups that we battle with is we don't necessarily know what to say, but I want to encourage you with what Luke 12 says, verses 11 and 12. The, the theologian, he writes this, When we were brought into trial in, in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So maybe you're in here and you're saying, I do well at following Jesus by keeping these moral standards, by going to church, by doing this different, maybe humanistic made view of what it means to be a follower. But maybe you need to ask yourself, how am I finding others? Am I praying every day for a Holy Spirit-led conversation that can change someone's eternity? My encouragement to you is don't be wrapped up or consumed in the fear, but lean into God's spirit so that he can guide you and assist you in those conversations. See, Jesus reveals the most valuable asset in the world is people. Luke 5.10 reminds us again, and his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And then number three for us today, with quality needed to be a follower of Jesus, isn't just being in awe of Jesus, isn't just finding others and following him from a moral standpoint, but it also means this, we need to surrender anything so we can have everything. Luke five eleven. and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him complete surrender to jesus it's are we willing to look at anything in our life and give it over to him or is it we need to evaluate what's taking place so that we can make those adjustments complete surrender to jesus is a requirement to be a follower can you imagine the financial prosperity that these disciples that this mission that was put now before them they left it all their the goal of the the complete business their boats everything and they went and followed jesus i'm reminded of the story by this man by the name of eric liddell a scottish olympic athlete in 1924 he was selected and picked to be the winner of the 100-meter dash. He was predicted, excuse me, to be the winner of the 100-meter dash. Now, we're talking about Eric Liddell almost 100 years later. Now, if you put in perspective, I can't even remember who won the last 100-meter dash. Maybe you can, props to you. But what made Eric Liddell's story so famous is that he never competed in the 100-meter dash at the 1924 Olympics. The reason was is because that particular race fell on a Sunday. He knew that he was committed to his church, he was committed to his religious upbringing, and so there was things that he wasn't willing to sacrifice and a conviction and a commitment that he made with God that he would never sacrifice his Sunday for what maybe would be what he considered a distraction. So he decided to go from the 100-meter race to the 400-meter race, two completely different races, a middle race, middle-length race, and a short race. You have to train your body in a different way. So just a few weeks before the race, there's a, he decides to run 400 meter. He goes on, he qualifies, and then he goes and he wins the Olympics. So what's unique about his story is this, that Eric Liddell was willing to risk everything. He didn't even know if he would qualify in the 400-meter race. He was willing to risk his fame, his fortune, his legacy to be spoken about. 
But what's unique, so unique in the story is that because he was doing that, he was, because he did that, we still talk about him to this day. I love his quote. He says this, If I know something to be true, am I prepared to follow it, even though it is contrary to what I want? Will I follow it if it means being laughed at by a friend or foe, or if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? He was willing to surrender it all. My question to you today, are you willing to surrender it all? Are you willing to follow Jesus at every extent in your life? Today, I, I just want to recap real quick. Let your awe of Jesus be larger than your awe of life. Be committed to not only following Jesus, but finding others. And then to be willing to surrender anything so that you can have everything. And the everything we talk about is an eternity that's shaped with God. Eternity that is with our Creator. So here's our hope for you. One, today. You become a follower of Jesus. I can't stress it enough that you say right now, wherever you're watching, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and everybody watching right here, right now. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And because of that, our lives, that you defeated death. And now I have hope and I have grace and I have a radical love and a relationship with you. And then two, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to explore how well you are at following him, allowing him to lead in your life. Well, thank you for allowing me to join you today. We hope you have a fabulous week in the next days ahead. And we are just praying so much for you all the way from Florida, all the way to California. We're one team, one mission to see people and to seek people and to be great followers of Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Lord, right now, for those who are watching, wherever they are watching, I pray a special blessing and anointing in your life that you move in their lives, that whenever they get done watching, that they leave and they become better followers of you. Lord, we pray that our awe of you is so great and so, and, and, and so overwhelming that we're forever changed. Lord, I pray that we continue to live a life of surrender. And Lord, may we always pursue individuals. Lord, be with Central Christian Church in the days ahead and as they continue to take ground for your kingdom. In your great and holy name, amen.